0: There's this quote from a nice nin that I've always really loved. It says, And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. I think this quote says something really important about the rewards that can come from vulnerability. Scary as it may be sometimes. The reward is growth. Freedom. Freedom. Healing. The reward is you blossoming. But vulnerability isn't just hard for Black people to express. It's actually dangerous when we do. Because to be free to be vulnerable means you have to be free free to go jogging without getting shot, free to be gay without being beaten, free to breathe without a knee on your neck. So being vulnerable is actually, usually, something we fear. Unless you're Stephanie Wilson, at least these days. In my home state of Vermont, Stephanie is a prolific dancer and singer. She has this indie soul sound I've always wanted to play over and over again in my home. And though Stephanie's music is vulnerable, she hasn't always been. In fact, I haven't heard anything from Stephanie in a while. I'd wondered what's up until I read a recent Instagram post from her husband, Tim Hegany. This is Tim reading that post for us here today.
1: To our dear friends and family and the community we are so blessed to be a part of, I've wanted to tell you all how much your support has meant to us during a challenging and unexpected time in our lives and explain all the details to you, but this has been delayed as the business of life has continued and I have found it so difficult to express. It occurred to me that maybe we reach a point where the need to communicate our inner experience is stronger than the fear that we'll screw that up or be misunderstood or judged or just not able to do our feelings justice. I guess I'm there I know I will fail to fully articulate the details and nuances, or to convey how deeply we appreciate what you have all done to help us, but we can't ever let that stop us, can we?
0: I'm Myra Flynn. Today on the show, Stephanie Wilson's first interview since her double mastectomy and breast cancer diagnosis. The shedding, the blossoming, and the breaking of the generational cycle of secrets she believes made her sick in the first place. From Vermont Public, this is Homegoing's. Welcome home. Stephanie is a singer, a dancer, a lyricist. I mean, sounds like everything artistic, but mostly in like the performance realm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, thanks for being here with us today on Homegoing. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So can you describe just kind of where you live and what it feels like culturally for you?
2: Uh, Winooski. I actually love living in Winooski to go back a little bit, I grew up in the Northeast Kingdom of Vermont, um, which is, you know, way up, scooting next to the Canadian border. Um, and it's, you know, very, I guess, white. <laughs> or, I guess, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so moving to Winooski and being there in a the couple of years, it's the most diverse city in, in the state, basically. So I really thrive being there. I love my neighbors. Um, I love walking out and seeing, like, Little little kids, brown and black, it's, it's really fulfilling for me.
0: Yeah, there's like 32 languages spoken there or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With somebody who is based in like performance arts, you use your body so much and kind of rely on it. I mean, as a singer myself, it's like if I lose my voice for even a moment, you know, what's going to happen to my livelihood? What's going to happen to me? And you've been going through something... Um, that's incredibly taxing on your body. Can you just kind of walk us through the story? Almost a year to date, last summer,
2: I felt felt a lump in my breast. Started with that, Uh, went to get it checked out, got referred to UVM. um, And when I went in there, I received an ultrasound. um, And it actually wasn't my first time dealing with something like that, although I had kind of forgotten because it happened maybe I think about seven years ago, I had been through this and I had went in, had the ultrasound and it was nothing. So I kind of went in again with the feeling of like, oh, I just need to get this checked out. It's going to be nothing. Um, Well, I went there, I got the ultrasound and then instead of sending me home, they had me sit back in the waiting room. I was going to do a mammogram and then the mammogram turned into a biopsy. Um, And then they had me come back to do an MRI. So it was just a, like, I went in thinking one thing, and then that was just where the switch began of, like, okay, I think this is something very serious. October 3rd was the date that I got the call from Pearl from UVM <laughs> um, letting me know that it didn't indeed come back as cancer. And then November 11th was my first surgery. Wow. So it's been, I think the other day we are saying, oh, I think the six month mark has like come and gone. <laughs> That's fresh. It's very
0: fresh. Yeah. Six months is fresh.
2: So I ended up going to um, LA to receive treatment. Actually, um, I did a lot of research on who I wanted to see. You know what I wanted to do, what my options were. I felt like here I was presented more with maybe one option, and I needed to know if there were if there were more. You can receive radiation. You can just treat. You know you can just treat one, and then we'll watch the other, and you'll come in every six months for who knows how long, (laughs) to monitor it. Um, So for my own peace of mind, I knew that I just wanted this, like, gone, out. I didn't want it to come back. I decided that I was going to do a double mastectomy.
0: Were you feeling scared or nervous, or how did you feel in that moment? I
2: felt very scared, almost in shock. And then I did something a little different. I did a pap reconstruction, um, which instead of going straight to implant, what you can do, um, they—it's a crazy surgery where they take tissue from—they um, took tissue from my thigh and blood vessels to reconstruct my breasts. Wow! That in itself was a whole intense recovery. So I had four incision points, I had the mastectomy and then I also had two in my legs. The incisions are underneath here. So, you know, all through my arm has been super tight. Wasn't able to raise both of my arms. I mean, I couldn't even put a t-shirt on. Um, And so recovery from that, having your arms down, I mean, it doesn't take long with your body being stagnant, to lose it, basically, I lot of, lost a lot of muscle mass. Yeah, and then my thighs—Holy moly! <laughs> really? Um, I, that was that was difficult because the incisions are right on like my like right on the back of my thigh here. So sitting down like this was not something that was possible. I remember by Christmas, I sat down for like short periods of time by Christmas, I was able to kind of be walking around and sat down to dinner. and was like, okay, I can think I can sit here with a bunch of pillows for maybe like,
0: I think I can do 45 minutes before I need
2: need to get up.
0: If you were to give me a sentence when I ask how are you doing now, what would it be? It would be,
2: I'm hanging in there. There's still some pain there. There's a lot to process. I'm fortunate enough to have a partner who is so devoted, took as much as he could from me. I will have to say, I don't think Tim and I were 100% prepared for how intense that was gonna be. It was a lot. I couldn't get in and out of bed. I couldn't tie my own shoe. I couldn't get dressed. I mean, I was, I mean, you're basically just Lying there. helpless, yeah, just helpless. Saying, just helpless completely know. helpless. So that was another trust fall of like, okay, I just need to like take this help. So I'm just gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna go.
0: When we come back, Stephanie's journey toward recovery and her ongoing quest for physical, emotional, and generational healing. That's right after this. Welcome back to Homegoings, a righteous space for art and race. I'm Myra Flynn, and today I'm sitting down with Stephanie Wilson, a Winooski, Vermont-based dancer and singer. Six months ago, Stephanie underwent a double mastectomy after receiving a breast cancer diagnosis. So life is looking different for her these days, and I'm feeling really honored to be here with her. Not only because this is her first interview since the diagnosis and the surgery, But also because six months ago, she couldn't actually sit down at all. Just her being here with me reminds me to never take anyone's story for granted. When you look in the mirror now with your reconstructed breasts and your double mastectomy, what do you see? It's only recently that I can
2: really look myself in the mirror again. You know, in the beginning when I had the surgery, I couldn't even look down a part of me is gone, and there is some deep grief with that. And you know, I have such a supportive community that tells me that I am beautiful, and I know that I'm beautiful. But it's really hard; it's very hard to look in the mirror and accept this new me. It's still very fresh, and so I'm hoping <laughs> that I will get there. Um, but it has not; it has not been easy. Um, even the surgery itself, there were complications in the surgery. So I ended up having to have one implant in on one side and then I had the flap in on the other because one of them didn't work. And so I am coming to terms with that. How is How is
0: love with this new body?
2: I feel like that's something that is not talked about and it's something that I... Also wasn't prepared for, you know, I got this diagnosis and then it was just straight survival mode and Tim has been by my side the entire time and so kind and so loving and so patient, but I'm I'm almost relearning myself. I hope that in sharing this that other women will also talk about this as well, but it's just a lot to get used to. I, you know, there's no feeling there. So that's something that's gone that I'm still mourning the loss of and grieving the loss of. Um, And it's difficult because sometimes, like, there's no other side to it. Like, it's just sad. With some things I can find, know oh, the silver lining, but for this, there, there isn't any silver lining. Um, except that, you know, I do try to find like, you know, hold on to those little bits of joy that I can find and kind of like keep those as tight as I can and, and almost like, you know, like store them up. Any little bits of joy.
0: the silver lining is that you're alive.
2: Yes. Yes. The silver lining is that I'm alive. Um, The thing that's tough with that is like sometimes that's That's not not enough. enough. You know, I go through these stages of, you know, at least it wasn't this. You know, I, I didn't need chemo or radiation. And so I think about those women who got through all as far as I did and then did need chemo and radiation and I can get onto this train of like well I should be grateful that that didn't happen and I shouldn't feel this way so it's kind of hard fluctuating through that of being grateful for what I have but also being incredibly sad for what happened
0: yeah and you're allowed both While you were talking about the change in your body and the change in maybe how that shows up for your sexuality and how that shows up for the things that you love about yourself and the way that your husband sees you, the only other time that we can feel this change, I feel, is... When we're either close to mortality for some reason like this, or you give birth, do you feel like you've had a, a rebirth of sorts, or is, are we not there yet? Is it like I'm still just pissed and sad, and that's where it needs to be right now? I'm not there yet. I wouldn't say pissed, I would say I'm just
2: like sad, just describes it perfectly. I felt that like I was like so confident in my sexuality and so confident in myself and, um, having to rebuild that. Um, you know, I was talking with my husband about like, I don't, like, I don't want to feel like I have to try. Like, I want this to be natural. I don't want to feel like I have to work
0: at loving myself. I want to just love myself. Well, I see when I look at you, Is somebody who is incredibly strong. You look like you have not missed a beat in the dance world, seriously. (laughs) I've been working my butt off for sure. Yeah. 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 You must be incredibly strong um, and tested the limits of your body in ways that you never had before.
2: I went through a lot of PT was very anxious to get back, because I love to dance, and was very anxious to get my movement back, very anxious to, to pick up where I left off. Um, I, in my mind, was like, okay, 12 weeks, I think is what they said for recovery. No, <laughs> not at all. I'm still recovering.
0: I reached out to you after seeing some posts on Instagram and I know the community in Vermont has been loving on you, but you have been pretty quiet. Why did you decide to say yes to coming on Like, Did that feel important to you? It was really hard to even tell
2: anybody that was something to really kind of show my vulnerability in that way. Um, Even some of my closest friends, I kept it from them for a long time. I feel like all through this process, I've been having to trust. And it's honestly felt like I've just been closing my eyes and and falling backwards and just letting my community catch me. And it's the scariest thing. At this point, sharing my story is something that's very important to do. Because what I've been doing before isn't working anymore. I've been keeping things into myself, keeping them within my body, kind of pushing that down. And I feel like that is probably something that's, you know, maybe is part of what caused this sickness in the first place. Yeah, I think it's important for me to be here and tell that story. um, Just to, like, just to break that cycle Anyone who knows me, this is so outside of
0: (laughs) You don't normally just go get in front of a bunch of cameras and talk with flowers on the table. Well, thank you for trusting me, and thanks for trusting the show. What has it been like to, as a Black person whose community is so steeped in, in dealing with grief and is so steeped in having to deal with it because of how many of us die? What was it like looking at your own mortality and the possibility of that?
2: My father passed away when I was uh, in high school. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would have to say that after that, you know, my family, um, we kind of broke apart. It's so hard, and I know some people can resonate with this, like some expressions of grief. Like I know you know, my mother in particular, she tried, but it's there's so much pain, so much generational pain that it becomes too much, and I understand that. Um, and so the way that I dealt with it was very um, personal. It was very by myself. In fact, I, I spent a lot of time alone after that, I lived by myself for my last two years of high school. That is so young. It's very young. Looking back now, I'm like, wow, I cannot believe um, that's what that's what went down. But I learned to take care of it myself um, and to put on an exterior that everything was fine um, and that you don't need to worry about me. Everything's fine over here. <laughs> Fast forward to my own mortality. I wanted so badly to have that exterior of everything is fine. But this time I couldn't do it. I tried, I tried a little bit. I had, I like hosted a party and did a show and and, and didn't tell anyone. I'd been sitting on that news for for weeks and hadn't told anyone and and like had a great old time. Tell me something I used to something's
3: always something. Tell me what's inside of you. Things we never talk about. Things that never leave your mouth. Like secret name, booty that you won't say. Tell me where I come from. Why we this way?
2: But realize soon after that, like, this isn't going to work for me like this anymore. I can't do this anymore. Which <laughs> is why I'm here right now, even like every time that i I talk about this, it almost takes like lifts the weight off of it and takes away some of the power that it's been holding. I want to I want to change the generational pain that lies within my family. I want to change that simply by like shattering it <laughs> and be like, here I am, this is my story we all have stories i learned to hold my pain in but i don't want to do that anymore i want to hear about other people's stories i want to i want to cry at my dad's funeral i remember someone saying like it's okay you can cry <laughs> you didn't cry i did not <laughs> i did not wow. and i also couldn't you know i couldn't i could not look at my dad when he died either it was it was just so much push 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 away push away um and that's something that um, I'm learning now did not serve me and does not serve me and that I can face this, but on my own timeline. Like, again, it's so fresh. You know, I had Tim tell everyone. I, I, didn't, e- I didn't even have the strength to do that or the bravery. I couldn't, you know, there, I had so much of this exterior of needing to keep things calm and needing to make sure other people felt okay. And if they knew that I wasn't okay, they were not going to feel okay. And how am I going to monitor that? (laughs) I'm not going to be in control. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. And none of that, because I was facing cancer and something so serious, I literally could not think about those things. And so I just, one last time, placed it over here, dealt with what I had to deal with and then now that I'm coming out of it I'm realizing okay this is serious of how I have dealt with with tragedy and tragic things and I feel like I can with some work change that yeah here I am
0: I just think it's so brave to change anything especially generationally yeah so I think you're incredibly brave Thanks. yeah you keep saying I didn't have the bravery it's like whatever process you needed to go through to get to this place it will only serve you it sounds like going yeah. forward
2: I mean right now it doesn't like outwardly I can be like okay this is a brave thing and I even feel like you know I feel a little bit of strength kind of welling up as well of like okay I'm, I can do this with what I went through with the, the cancer and the physical part, like I had no choice. I have to do this. In the emotional part, I feel like I can't continue as I have been, take everything that happened and then stuff it in. I just can't Right, and you have that. a
3: choice. You mm-hmm. have a
0: choice to not now, so yeah. you're doing that. Yeah, yeah. I hear a rumor that you might share a song with us Yeah. in a little bit. Can you tell us about the piece that you're going to share? Yes, I wrote it with
2: my band before this diagnosis, before I've been going through all of this. Um, And it's about the very subject of generational pain and forgiveness. Wanting to break that cycle of secrets as well. You know, so much about hiding the pain, maybe not talking about it, wanting to have that perfect exterior, so we're going to pretend none of this is happening. Um, How that played out in my family is that I was like in the dark with so many things. Yes, there's that generational pain that's there, but that also means that there's generational strength as well because we've been through a lot. And so I think I'm going to focus on that. Hopefully somebody hears this who needed to hear
0: this. It's called To Blame. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So settle in, get ready to let the listen in. This is Stephanie Wilson with To Blame. Tell
3: me something about my history. Something tall or something blue. Tell me what's inside of you. Things we never talk about. Things that never leave your mouth Like secret names What is it that you won't say? Tell me where I come from
0: Thank you so much for listening to Homegoings, a righteous space for art and race. It's been a pleasure being here with you. Special thanks to Tim Hegney, Derek Rice, and Stephanie Wilson, who together make up their band Aquamoza. You can find more of their music online, and we also heard quite a bit from the band today as I scored this episode with majority of their music. And double thanks to Derek Rice, who sneaked in some original compositions of his own. Also, this episode is a video. That's right, a first for Homegoing's. We experimented with putting out a podcast and a video version of my conversation with Stephanie, which if I may say is stunning and also serves a greater purpose. To quote Brittany Patterson, who edits our show, it is so important to also be able to see vulnerability. Hard agree from me, Brittany, please. Stop, drop, and watch this interview at homegoings.co. A huge special thanks to Mike Dunn at Vermont Public who directed and edited this video and co-produced it with me. You are one talented dude, Mike. Thanks to Joey Palumbo for filming, to Peter Ingish for the live musical mix of our Deep Listen. And as per usual, thanks to Elodie Reed, who is the graphic artist behind all of our Homegoing's artist portraits. Stephanie's is especially breathtaking as she allowed Elodie to capture her as she is in this very moment, scars and all. This episode was mixed, scored, and reported by me, Myra Flynn. I also composed the theme music, other music by Derek Rice, Aqua Moza, and Blue Dot Sessions. Mark Davis edited this episode and Brittany Patterson edited the video. And James Stewart always contributes so many things on the back end of making this thing come to life. Do you have a story to share? Write to me at hey at homegoings.co. While you're there, you can sign up for our bi-monthly newsletter and give us a follow on Instagram at we are homegoings. See you in two weeks for another episode of Homegoings. As always, you are welcome here.
1: Without going too deep into the wake of it all, I would just say that life is different now. A lot has changed, much of which has been difficult to adjust to. Some positive changes have also taken place, and it is amazing to experience how a life challenge can be a catalyst for growth. There is so much more to say, but I'm sure I've already said way too much. But thank you. Thank you all for being there in every way. You have helped us carry through. We have felt your love, even when we have been too tired and anxious to fully receive it. It has been there. At a time when
2: information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to
0: hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's through line wherever you
2: get your podcasts.